0: You're listening to Well Made, a podcast from Lumi about the people and ideas behind your favorite online brands. I'm your host, Stefan Ango. Cheryl Kaplan, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So, you are the president at MGemi. Tell us a little bit about MGemi. How do you describe it?
1: Sure. MGemi was founded in 2015 when we launched mjemmy.com, a direct-to-consumer luxury footwear brand that came about as a result of both myself and my founders realizing that there was this white space, believe it or not, in the footwear and luxury industry. And that white space was around finding really great quality Italian-made footwear at prices that were affordable. And, you know, we say affordable because we're not making cheap shoes. We're making shoes that are of the highest quality, made in the same factories as many of our favorite luxury Italian brands, but offered at a much more reasonable price. So cutting out the middleman, allowing ourselves to pass along the savings to the consumer.
0: And so you're uh, making shoes both for men and women. Um mm-hmm. The Italian aspect is kind of fascinating to me because you always use that everywhere on your descriptions. Did you find that to be a really important part of how you positioned the company?
1: Yeah. So actually, we are Italian. Um, We have an office outside of Florence, Italy, and one of our co-founders and our head of merchandising was born in Sicily. And our supply chain is based in Italy. So it's actually a group of us from the U.S. as well as from Italy. So it's truly in our roots. Our partners that help make our shoes, our workshops are all in Italy. And every component of the shoe is is made and crafted in Italy. So it's truly an essential part of our brand. The best shoes are made in Italy. And that was part of our DNA from the beginning.
0: That's something that on a meta level we've talked about on the show before, which is just these areas of expertise, these geographical regions where people, for whatever reason, for generations have done something a certain way. What is it about Italy that makes it such an amazing place for leather and for shoes?
1: It truly is amazing. I always say that I wish I could take All of our um, clients there to see how our shoes are truly made by hand. So, you know, often people use that phrase, made by hand, handcrafted. But when you walk through these family owned workshops that have been in these families for generations, so you meet the mother and the father and the children and the uncles, like it is a family tradition and one that's been passed down the craft from generation to generation, they have machinery, but not in the same way that you think of, factories in other countries they are hammering in nails by hand and sewing and you know every stitch you know it's it's such a beautiful work of art you know we were just recently in one of our factories and it was amazing to see that the last step in the in the shoemaking process was one of the family members being the last one to touch it and wrap the box and seal it and send it off. And to me, that was truly amazing because there are so many hands that touch the shoes as they go through the process. But that final step being one of the owners, I thought was a really nice touch and just, you know, sort of hammers home why we love working with these workshops every day.
0: Another thing that I've been fascinated about, and I've sort of been hearing about this, your your background before MGEMI is is uh, quite illustrious uh, with you know spending quite a long time at Rue La, La and before that at uh, Smart Bargains. Like, Can you walk me through a little bit of, of your career before MGEMI and how you uh, got pulled into this project?
1: Sure. So the beauty of MGEMI, quite honestly, is that we control our own destiny. My experience prior to being at MGemi, I was selling other people's products and I would get data and I would hear client feedback, but ultimately I really had to work with what other brands were creating and trying to make that work for the customer that I was working with. Here, we're able to apply what we're learning, which, you know, I know we can talk more about, and, and impact that through our supply chain. My experience, you know, started in high school. I loved working in retail, and, you know, that was when retail was much more traditional in that sense where you know I was working in stores and I was manager of you know retail locations and then ultimately moved into buying roles and ultimately I would say e-commerce I um was where I got my my feet wet in terms of the startup world which I love I love building brands I love building teams and so when I joined a company called Red Rocket. And then Smart Bargains was where I got a lot of my initial e-commerce experience and learnings. And then when we started La, that was really based on knowing that there was a market out there for an online business that sold great brands at a great value, but that a brand needed to be created in order to do that and be successful. And like I said, you know, one of the biggest challenges is when you don't have control over how you make the product, the colors, the sizes, you know, when you're buying off price, which is what La is, you know, you are a little bit at the mercy of what, what the brands have. Now at MGemi, we are very much um, focused on utilizing data and mixing that with our supply chain to be able to cater to what the customer wants. So for example, client feedback is at the heart of everything we do, whether it's through our net promoter scores, our cl- our customer reviews on our website. We um, send out surveys. We use Instagram for um, client feedback on designs. There's a lot that goes into requesting client feedback in addition, you know, looking at the data that helps us understand what people are interested in, what they're not interested in, what they've kept, what they've returned. There's so much that goes into it. And then we're able to figure out, based on that, what do we want to make more of? What don't we want to make more of? And what are the trends that we can chase? And um, the beauty of our supply chain, we launch new shoes every Monday. That is somewhat unique to to this brand in that the other luxury brands are launching by season. So they may learn interesting facts about what's going on with their business, but they can't impact that season. What we can do is when we launch a new shoe on a Monday, by Monday afternoon, have a sense you know, of how it's going to be and project out the numbers and then look at whether or not we need to buy into more or we need to change a future order. And those changes can be impacted in 30 to 45 days. And that's a real unique um, advantage that we have by having this opportunistic supply chain in Italy.
0: And how do you decide what becomes part of the, the permanent collection with that
1: so it's it's definitely, our, our assortment is a balance of maybe a core collection. So we have a couple of styles that have become, you know, namesakes of the brand and people come back and, you know, they're addicted and they love them and they want them in more colors and more materials. We balance that with newness every Monday. So um, we want to make sure that we're offering both the styles, sort of the best sellers that everyone has come to love but also with newness and styles that are of the moment and, um, and on trend. So every Monday you'll see something new and then um, also we'll look at um, styles that we want to keep on going, and that's you know that's based on data, of course. You know there are styles that that we look at from a price point and who the customer is that buys them, how we use them to market, um, sort of in a direct to, direct response relationship to see if that's a style that we want to keep going with. Now again, we're fortunate in that we don't have to be making shoes for a full year or a full season. We can adapt our our on order based on on how we're on how the style is doing and how we're marketing it. So we have a lot of flexibility because of our our um, rapid reorder opportunity. That we don't have to. You know, people often talk about like markdowns on the water. You know, and so what that means is, um, let's say you thought that you know, a shoe was going to be great. And so you bought many, many units of it and it's on its way. And suddenly you're reading the data and you're finding it's not working as well as you thought. You can't change that. And so you basically, your markdowns are coming before they're even here. And, you know, that's sort of a traditional retail phrase, if you will. And where we don't have that situation because we don't have to buy that far out that we're risking being overstocked.
0: You have mentioned bringing data into everything that you're doing uh, at MGEMI. Can you give some examples of how that actually works on a day to day basis? Like, how do you actually get the data, and how do you turn that into actionable things?
1: So there's a number of ways that that we're collecting the data. You know, having you know worked in other startups, we knew from day one that data was going to be something that we were going to want. And so we set up the tools to make sure that we um, have those in place. We also have, you know, hired a number of data scientists to help us with um, some of our predictive analytics and working with our merchandise planning team. So for example, we launch a shoe on a Monday. Monday afternoon, we look at sell through and get a sense for where we are. We work with the data science team; they help us through their algorithms predict where that will be and potentially, you know, what we might want to. Make more of, and then we work with our supply chain to to bring that in. We also um take wait lists from our clients, which help us predict demands as well as pre-orders. So a couple of weeks before a shoe drops on a Monday, we will offer a pre-sale to our clients and allow them to um, place their order and get it and make sure that they get the color and size they want before it sells out. And at the same time, that allows us to have a sense of what colors and sizes are going to be you know, most sought after. And then if we need to, we can adjust our on order. So it's a combination of our merchandise planning team, our data science team, and then our supply chain team
0: yeah I think it's it's fascinating that you know the the traditional retail world hasn't quite caught up on that side yet. There's obviously people have been thinking about these same types of things. How do you measure trends and uh, apply them. The turnaround, is that the main thing that you think is different about MGmi? is like how quickly you're able to turn those into actionable things?
1: I think that our supply chain is quite unique. Even when we interview people that have been, let's say, in the footwear industry or in another um, manufacturing industry, and they think that they've worked in fast-paced supply chain environments, they are amazed at our we're always designing. We're always producing. So it's this ongoing cycle. We never finish. You know. So for one week, you may be looking at a prototype. And for the next meeting, you're talking about um, the final production. And so it's this constant cycle of design, prototypes, development, production. And... Um, most supply chains cannot react that quickly. Those are the relationships that we have with these factories and why we think it's a competitive advantage.
0: This leads me to the question of, you know, when you're, you're trusting the algorithm to, you know, make suggestions, you you might not stray far outside of what people like. How do you find that inspiration to, like, try something
1: weird? Yeah, this is a combination of art and science it is certainly a tool that we use but in no way is what you know it's part of the way in which we make a decision we because we are constantly creating newness we we rely on the analytics to help us based on a like style or like attributes, you know, where we're looking at heel heights and componentry and things that make them similar, which is actually what makes it a little bit complicated. If all you were doing was reorder existing styles, it actually gets much simpler, but attributes of the styles that we're selling are part of what makes it unique. And so that's where the magic comes in because, of course, our design team, we want them to be pushing design and ideas and trying new things, but it's it's grounded in some data that helps us then figure out How much, what sizes, you know, sizing in in footwear is critical. So, always looking at size runs and figuring out, you know, we like in, in traditional retail, you buy a case pack and you have to buy X amount of this size, Y amount of this size. Here, we decide how many 37s, how many 38s, and, you know, that's really up to us. So, again, we own that. We're not relying on someone else to figure that out. We get to choose and we control our own destiny by creating what we want and what we think we need to have.
0: Yeah, and does it help you that these being maybe more handmade allows you to do lower runs or or is that not a factor?
1: You know, we're, we have a mixture of truly exclusive limited editions as well as, you know, styles that we're doing more units of. We don't have to take that risk. And that's, you know, what we were talking about earlier in the sense of if we want to try something truly unique and different, we can put it out there, get a read, and then place a production order for more if if we believe that it's something that, that we should continue to to go after. We're not predicting trend years out. We're we're in the real time where we can, you know, be in Italy looking for inspiration and in New York and Miami and you know being a part of the current trends and then reacting to it versus having to predict in the future and, and taking some big risks.
0: I know you're working with some influencers, a few different people. Those people are driving some of those purchasing trends as well. What are you seeing on that side?
1: Yeah, we recently did um, an interesting collaboration with a woman named Mariana Hewitt, who is um, actually an M. Jemmy fan, and so it was it was a great relationship because we she had true authenticity of love of the brand and yet is not a fashion influencer. She is much more in the beauty world. And so we got together with her and showed her some of our upcoming styles and she sat with us and helped design a, co- a color-blocked version of the style, which she was very excited about. And, um, and then she did some photography and some video and um, shared it with her following. And ultimately, it did so well that we ended up going back and placing um, a backup order of those, of those designs based on you know, her influence and her following, her Instagram following.
0: It's a pretty amazing world that we live in where, you know, 15 years ago, only maybe like major athletes or something had a shoe after, after them. And now, you know, someone on Instagram can have a shoe that's designed with their preferences. Uh, I mean, I assume that's just going to get further and further in that direction.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think again, it, it needs to feel authentic. Clients are smart and they know when it's, you know, a paid relationship or sponsored. And I think that when you can tie it into authenticity of, you know, someone's true love for the brand or for the product that comes through as, you know, Instagram becomes, you know, an ongoing way for people to find products they love, who they follow and how they present it, I think is is a critical piece of that. And, you know, with Mariana... She was very authentic in her love for the brand, and, and that meant a lot to us in terms of working with her.
0: We also had, a few weeks ago, uh, the founder of Rockets of Awesome, uh, Rachel Blumenthal. And both of you have been part of, I, I don't really know very much about it, but what is Launch, and how has it been involved in both of those companies?
1: So the the co-founders of Launch, Ben Fishman and Ted McNamara, um I have worked with before we were at Rula La together, and they started launch as a platform to allow new businesses new brands to um, to come to life so in the case of M jemmy, we were the first launch brand to exist, and that brand started from scratch and as you probably know, from meeting with Rachel, Rockets of Awesome came from a combination of the work that she was doing with a different company prior, and the idea of um, the subscription business at the launch level, and um, and since then there is a brand Fulane, which is safe, healthy beauty, and then also Trade Coffee, all separate businesses, separate brands, separate cultures. But what Launch provides is management oversight, um, experience in that you know, as a Launch team, we've experienced startups in other places. And um, and so we offer these brands and their teams expertise in how they manage, how they fund, how they operate. And so for me, it's really the best of both worlds. So you're building a unique brand, but you also have the backbone of, of a lot of experience um, to help along the way, and then certainly to work together when it makes sense to to figure um, things out. You know, in terms of best practices and and ways that we can leverage each other.
0: Ben Fishman, who you just mentioned, who's the CEO of MGemi, was also the founder of Launch. Walk me through that uh, experience of meeting him and what made you want to collaborate.
1: So I met Ben. About 20 years ago when I was looking for a job at um, Smart Bargains, a couple different people had um, suggested that I speak with him. And he was, you know, the at the time, I believe, the chief marketing officer who ended up becoming the CEO of Smart Bargains, he hired me as the wow buyer. Um, And we still laugh about it to this day, but my my business card actually said wow. And my role was to buy products for the website. It was an off-price branded website where, you know, we sold, let's say, you know, a Krups coffee maker or, you know, it could have been like Ralph Lauren polo shirts. It was branded product at a discount. And my job as the wow buyer was to find products that were above and beyond that would make people say, wow. So, you know, this was before And La -la and Groupon, so it was uncommon to have things like lobsters online or Louis Vuitton handbags at a discount. And so that was that was the role that I started in. And I often, you know, tell the story that about two weeks into the role, I went to Ben and I I said, "Oh, you know, I, I may have made a mistake. I'm not sure this is the right role for me." You know, it was at a time when a lot of people did not want to be selling online. It was scary to them and certainly not at a discount. They were afraid of ruining their brand. And the role was very much a business development role and less of a buyer role. You were going out and really trying to convince people to do something that that they weren't really ready for. And we were probably ahead of our time at that point. But ultimately, lesson learned, Ben said to me, you know what, I don't know what to call you or what to pay you, but I know that your experience in retail is critical to what we're building here. Let's figure it out. And for me, that was a pivotal moment because I could have walked away and said, well, what do you mean? What's my title? What's my salary? Or I could have said, I'm going to take a chance here. This is a super smart, you know, mentor for me and, um, and we'll see where it goes. And obviously I went with, the latter, and you know, twenty years later, we've we've built a number of different brands together, and um, and I've learned a ton along the way.
0: It's really inspiring to see that you know long term collaboration. Uh, I think that that's rarer and rarer. <laughs> I, yeah. I start to realize uh, as I get further in my career, I, I notice that that doesn't happen everywhere. When you think about it today, what are the things that have become second nature? to you and Ben and and the people around you that have been with you for a while?
1: The, The best part is that we all believe in building a brand and building a client experience that's superb. When you do that, everything else comes. So, you know, I think being brand centric and Customer centric is at the heart of every decision. Not that we make decisions that aren't, you know, financially sound, but we're balancing that with thinking of what the client wants and how to build a brand and a relationship with our customers. And that's unique. Not everyone think. I think people want to believe that they think that, but it's truly at the heart of how we make decisions. And um, whether that's for our own teams or or our clients, I think it makes a big difference. And it's something that, you know, we all share as, as leaders. I think also, you know, we oftentimes talk about being able to work, you know, in a startup above and below your pay grade. And I think it's a critical attribute of people that are successful in this type of environment that one minute you're thinking strategically about you know where you want to be going next and the next minute you're you're in the details, making sure that that things are running smoothly and um, and being able to connect the dots and help your teams figure out how to execute. You know, I always talk about fire in the belly and just having this curiosity that keeps you learning. And at the same time, teaching others, I think, um, are a lot of the attributes that have kept me um, working with this team for, for as long as I have.
0: What I'm curious about is why, after having spent you know, almost 15 years in the world of retail, online retail, and selling these other brands, what was it that has enabled MGemi to exist today and maybe not before?
1: um i think that we really were looking for what as i said earlier the white space was and you know to just launch a footwear brand was not something that we were looking to do we wanted to do something very unique and different and that was taking the new way of selling being direct to consumer mixed with the old way of traditionally handmaking shoes in Italy. And so we often refer to it as made the old way, sold the new way. And that was really what excited us about this opportunity is that we were offering something that you can't get anywhere else. You know, I often think about the fact that if I wasn't at M. Jemmy, where would I be buying my shoes today? I don't know the answer to that because the combination of, you know, the price point mixed with what you get for it is not is it's it's so unique that um you really can't do that, and so you know before m jemmy, I might buy you know one or two pair of luxury brand shoes. I wouldn't want to wear them. I'd be nervous I'd ruin them. I'd feel a little bit silly that I spent that much on them. And, you know, here I I love wearing them. They feel better the more I wear them. They get worn in and molded to my foot. And I haven't spent so much that I feel a little bit guilty about it. And that to me speaks to the opportunity is that we're fulfilling this white space that no one else has has been able to do up until this point.
0: I think we're in a period of time now where – consumers know that this is a trend that this is happening brands are coming online and and bringing these different types of products to market in a new way do you think it's just that momentum of, of people having experienced other brands like it in the past like warby parker or some of these other ones that have been around a little longer that it's now enabling this new generation or is there some other factor that that makes it such that mjme if you had launched it 10 years ago wouldn't have worked as well
1: I think that it's a combination of things. So certainly when direct-to-consumer becomes a thing in the news, it helps. We all help each other in terms of telling that story. At MGMY, we still have to figure out how to tell our story. Everyone's story is still somewhat unique and the value proposition that that they bring. So I think it's a combination of that as well as traditional retail really changing. Um, We've all experienced walking into a store finding something we like and then finding out that they don't have it in stock and they'll ship it to us. And so in a sense, this has been going on for a little while where um, traditional retail stores are not holding as much inventory and therefore you almost feel like I could have stayed home and done this. And so it's sort of created its own um, cycle of why it's making sense it's the convenience it's the the opportunity to be able to see you know all of the different options it is allowing the best of service you know the um digital experience being able to see assets throughout the experience that show how it can be worn or how it feels and looks and you know for me it's it's just retail changing again it's the evolution of you know what was Catalogs to retail to e-commerce to now direct to consumer and now to figuring out how to use physical retail in a way that that is more current and and um and more of the moment. You know our customers are looking for ways to make it interesting. They you know they want to understand the story. They want to experience the brand. And I think the retailers that are going to come out on top are those that are going to adapt to what our clients are looking for and not just staying the way that they are or have been.
0: So you've also been experimenting with the physical side of things. You have a store in Soho. You've been working with Bloomingdale's. You've done, uh, you know, trucks. Give us a little bit of a picture of all the different approaches and experiments that you've tried and maybe a little bit about what you think each one Brings to the table.
1: Sure. So, generally, our strategy has been that we want to meet our customers where they are. We want to create retail experiences that are more than just transactional, but really build places where I hate to use the word stores because they're not all in stores, but build experiences where the client wants to be and where they can enjoy the experience. And so, for us, that's evolved into a mix of pop-ups, permanent stores, mobile activations. So for example, we um, we have a truck that we call Andiamo. And that truck is. Um, it started off as a gelato ice cream truck last summer, and it toured the East Coast. And we actually served gelato and also allowed people to try on our best-selling sneaker that was offered in lots of fun summer colors. And what that allowed us to do was Try out different locations um, and also you know have people interact with the truck and, and experience it in in a place where they were already hanging out at the beach, et cetera. What that has now allowed us to do is expand into different regions and try different locations, and we've done it both outside and then also inside. Um, in some locations as sort of um, the inside of a mall and um, where different clients can can come and experience the brand. We are now in Bloomingdale's, so we have a fit shop at Bloomingdale's 59th Street in New York, and that's been our first in-store retail partnership. So one of the opportunities for us there was utilizing the Bloomingdale's um, traffic and visibility to create more brand awareness. We are not there as a traditional wholesale model. Um, We use our own staff. It's our own inventory. It is our own space that we designed. And ultimately, at the end of the day... We um have a direct relationship with the customer, so one thing that we would never want to lose is that one to one relationship where we're transacting, we're shipping you know it's that final mile that's so critical to us that end to end experience. so um having the shop in shop allows us to release our new shoes every Monday within their store, have them try them on in person, we then ship them directly to their door, yet we're still. Um, offering the same commitment to concierge level service that we offer in our other pop-ups. Once we find the right locations, what we have seen is this combination of store, physical store and digital has created a super consumer. And this super consumer for us has been very helpful to the business in terms of us understanding how they shop what they're looking for they actually end up spending more when they've been in a store and then go digital they buy again faster so you know their their repeat rate is faster than if they were just digital they return product much less and their average order value is higher so we have created a super loyal customer who is obviously excited about the brand in that we've seen them repeating four times per year versus the industry standard of um, one time a year for our for our type of products.
0: I think it's fascinating that you've been able to roll out the the Monday drop concept across all of the different experiences because I, I would assume that is uh, its own challenge when it comes to retail as well. You know what was it that you figured out about? how to do that in a way that would work across all of your different channels?
1: So from a supply chain standpoint, it actually helps the workshops because a lot of the other big brands, they they do their drops seasonally. And so there's a very spiky you know, uh, manufacturing plan that happens where they have to get all of their products done for a certain time period, and then the the factories and the workshops were going a little bit quiet. And what we found was we were able to utilize some of their downtime by keeping them, you know, their lines going all year round. So there is a much more consistent. Uh, workflow for them and for their employees, and so it actually ends up being a win-win. We're able to help these workshops keep their their lines running year-round, and at the same time, we're able to offer our clients newness um, every week, which which we love. You know, it's very hard to consume an entire season of product at once. You know, we don't expect people to buy every Monday, but we want them to. Come check out what we're offering and, you know, have it be somewhat um, of entertainment value as well to be able to to see the newness and see what's what's coming up.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think anyone who pays a slight amount of attention to the the fashion industry knows about how fast fashion has changed so much of mm-hmm. you know everything over the past 20 30 years like h and m and Zara and all these different companies that have moved from these like seasonal collections to like consistently being able to deliver things but that is typically for products that are fairly inexpensive I, I'm just it's fascinating to hear what you're describing which is more like a fast luxury type of product I, I don't really know of other companies that do that I guess you you just sort of answered it, but not every customer of yours is going to be able to come in and buy something every Monday. How does that, I guess, how do you monetize that, that customer who might be excited about it every Monday, but can't actually like buy a new pair of shoes every Monday?
1: Sure. I mean, if someone's engaged and checking in, whether it's on our Instagram or via, you know, our email channel, we love that. I mean, we're really, we're creating relationships with our clients and, you know, that that newness is a reason for them to come back. It's obviously about, at some point, getting them to convert and showing them something that truly hits on what they're looking for. But I don't want them to go dark. I want to keep them interested. And so, coming up with, you know, for any brand, coming up with new content is always hard. And so, having something new to talk about that is so rich in its story and authenticity of how it's made and why we chose that style, and offering that every Monday, I think, is a great reason for people to check in and keep things interesting and and real. You know, in my past life. You know, we were coming up with stories to tell, reasons to engage. Here it's very authentic. Our design team is working every week to come up with something new. And there's a story behind each style and where it was made and why, why it matters. And it's it's buy now, where now. So it's real time reacting to what clients want and showing it to them. And so that's the beauty of a model that allows you to, um, to offer newness.
0: Yeah. Right now you have a handful of locations. You have your, your, your main location. I'm not sure how many different, um, Bloomingdale's locations you're operating out of. Does it become more challenging over time to be able to do that type of Monday drop, uh, experience, with lots of retail stores? Or are you thinking that's never the goal of M. in the first place?
1: So we will, in terms of the number of retail locations that we have, that will vary based on you know, where where we find the, the best locations for the moment that we're in. We are looking not to be in every city and every state, but more to pop up where we feel our our clients are and where they'll have the most benefit of experiencing the brands you know we have a lot of people for example that travel to new york for work and end up making an appointment in our soho store to stop in cuz they're so excited that the store is there so we have to make sure their locations are right for our clients and and you know showing up where where they are that is the beauty of having some mobile locations as well so that we can be in more places than our physical stores would allow us to be but in terms of the supply chain and the Monday drops, the stores don't at all prohibit us from, from doing that in the future. The beauty of our model is we're a fit shop. So you can try the shoes on, but our inventory is centrally located. So we ship it to the customer. So let's say you're in the store on a Monday, you try on the shoe, you love it, you'll have it by Wednesday. And Most people love that feature. You know, they don't have to walk around with shopping bags and shoe boxes. And oftentimes they're either shopping for other things or they're at work and they're popping into the store. So it's actually become another level of service for them. So for us, it's about showing the shoe, allowing them to try it on. We find that once they come in and try on the weekly drop, they end up trying on lots of other styles too. Again, because these stores have become more of an experience than just transactional. And then they continue on and they don't have to worry about, you know, taking the shoes home. We'll get them to them in, you know, about two days.
0: We had the founders of Birdies on a few weeks ago who make um, slippers. It's a direct-to-consumer brand as well. I'm going to ask you the same question I asked them. Zappos and some and Amazon and, you know, the the big brands out there, or big retailers out there have created a really big expectation in terms of footwear in particular uh, for returns uh, for you know making sure that the fit is right how did you approach that from a as well from a supply chain standpoint or from a reverse logistics standpoint
1: So a couple of things. So before we had our physical locations, people would say, wow, shoes online, that's hard. How do you deal with returns? How do you deal with fit? So a couple of things that that we knew we had to do was remove any hurdle that that we could um, to allow people to get the shoes at home and try them on. And so we did things like from from launch free shipping free returns we have our phone number our text our chat our email address everywhere so you know where some sites that you go to you oftentimes have to dig around to find a way to speak with someone we do the opposite we go out of our way to find ways for you to reach out to us because we know that once we are speaking with you we can help you really make a great decision. And so, those the, the hurdles of free, sh- you know, offering free shipping, free returns. We also added um, exchanges recently where you can do an exchange on your own. So, let's say, you know, the shoe was just a little bit too big or too small. We will immediately ship you out the other size and then you know once you get them you can try them on and see if they're better for you we're not waiting like a traditional store would say okay we'll ship the original ones back and then we'll ship you a pair of shoes we'll do very quick immediate exchanges for you obviously the fit shops are just another way to make the connection with the customer allow try on but but truly it's about getting clients to try it because we know they'll once they get them, they'll try them on, they'll understand the quality, and then if they need help, that, that we're there to help them all along the way. The speed to getting them the shoes, of course, is critical. There's a level of excitement when you order a pair of shoes. So we believe that people are excited when their shoes arrive in about two days. You know, So for example, we drop on a Monday, you can have your shoes in time to wear that weekend, which is just, I think, critical in terms of... You know e-commerce nowadays, as you mentioned, it's an expectation.
0: Yeah, and and as that expectation ratchets up, it's sort of it never goes down, and it only you know becomes something that that customers expect from every shoe store that they might go to online. Yeah. So you you're always sort of looking at whatever the next thing is that can make the customer experience better. Where do you think things are going in the future?
1: I think every brand has to think about how it applies to them. You know, I remember way back when when you know one brand would go to $9.99 shipping and then someone would go to $7.99 and then it would drop to $4.99 and suddenly it was free. There's no bottom, you know, and so I think that every brand needs to think about what their client is looking for, what's most important to them, and then do it in a way that's on brand for what they're creating. It's not the same for everyone. And um, you know we knew that exchanges for us were very important because especially for a first-time client, there are times that they might not get their fit just right. And we want to make sure that they can quickly make that change. And so that's something that we decided to build. Most companies... We couldn't actually find a company that does exchanges the way in which we do them. So for us, being in the footwear online business, exchanges was a critical customer service value that we wanted to offer people. But I don't think that you could just try to keep up with the Joneses because everyone does what they need to do for their business and needs to do it in a creative way that makes sense for them, or it will just be this constant snowball of going lower, lower, lower.
0: I, I would love to get a little bit more insight from you on your experiences at La, which was quite a bumpy time, it, amazing like growth of the company. And I don't know if you can share some like lessons learned from that that maybe you've applied to M.
1: Sure. At Rulala, we launched the business, I think it was 2008. And so I think what is important to understand there is that was at a time where there was a lot of excess inventory in the market. And we had a lot of opportunity to choose the type of product that we were looking for. But as inventory became more scarce, it became harder to um, to truly have exactly what our customers were looking for. And so one of the um, attributes of this M. Jemmy brand that I love is that we control that. So, you know, if we hear from clients that they love a shoe, but the heel height is just a little bit too high, they'd love to have it instead of in a 90 millimeter heel, they'd love to see it in a 65. That's something that we can react to. And the beauty of being able to tie your data to your supply chain. It's magic. It really is what retail's about now. You know you want it, it is, of course, a fashion brand. We're selling product that we want women and men to love. But at the end of the day, we want to be able to offer them what they want. And the combination of having a design team and a supply chain team and a data science team that work together is where I think things are truly unique here and something that I love in this new venture that, that we're on
0: yeah I think it's useful to remember that you mentioned two thousand and eight I mean that was the height of the recession, and people's mindset was quite a bit different at the time and and so it's interesting to me to like look back over those more macro trends and think about where are we at currently and where is it where is it going uh you know we have so many online direct to consumer brands emerging every day. do you feel that the 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 market for that is is able to like bear? a lot more or do you feel like we're getting to the point where some of these are starting to get bought up by, you know, Walmart or consolidated into like these these groupings of brands. Where do you see that gr- going from a macro perspective?
1: I think that there is a need for both. I believe, you know, I am an Amazon Prime user for sure. I think that there are things that you know, items that people need that lend themselves to that type of shopping. And then I also believe that there are a lot of customers out there that love to understand how their products made, the type of workshops or factories that they're made in that want to have this sort of more boutique shopping experience. And so I think there's a need for both. I don't think that either go away in any way. I think it's always about making sure that you're strategy is is solving something for the consumer. And as soon as a retailer stops doing that is when I see trouble. Um, you know, really listening to what they're looking for and adapting and growing and changing. I mean, if you think about the Bloomingdale's relationship we have and that we're a shop in shop, you know, it's unique for them and it's unique for us. And that's both brands being flexible in terms of thinking about what works for their client and for their brand and and figuring out how to do it together and I think that that's the future is really listening to what people want and not sort of staying stuck in yesterday.
0: Cool. If people want to find out more about M they can just go to com. We'll uh, put some links in the show notes. Is there anything else that you want to point people to or that we forgot to to mention?
1: No, but I I do encourage people to take a look and reach out to our client services team if you have any questions. I actually sit next to them in the office, and um, they're an amazing group of people that um, our clients really build relationships with. And so they're real people. They try on every shoe. Um, they have great feedback. So, you know, if people do have questions or just want to hear more, and that is something that, that we encourage people to do.
0: And you can follow M. Jimmy on Instagram as well if you want to see the, the Monday drops and keep an eye on all the new styles. Absolutely. With you, is there any, anything we can point people to? Are you on social media or anything like that?
1: I am, <laughs> but,
0: you, you're, but, you're not um, encouraging that. <laughs>
1: no, no, I mean, you know what? I um, for Jemmy specifically, we use our channel to um, to be our brand voice. And, um, and oftentimes LinkedIn is a place where people are reaching out to me. I tend to use social media more for family and friends. And so it's not, it's not my primary, um, form of, of communication.
0: That's fine. If you're listening to this, you're not invited to, uh, connect. (laughs) (laughs) Um, just kidding. So, uh, thank you so much. It was it was really informative, and uh, we'll put all those links in the show notes uh, so that people can go check out M Jemmy.
1: Sounds great. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, if you got something useful out of it, I would love to hear what that was. Consider writing a short review; could be just a sentence long, by going to iTunes and searching for Well Made. I want to hear it all. I want to hear good, bad. I want to hear your constructive criticisms. I am just trying to make this show as useful as possible for you. So tell us what you think. That is the very best way that you can support the show. Thanks and see you next time.